the past 12 months, really the blessing has been mine uh, to serve as your interim preaching pastor. Um, I really honestly cannot remember uh, any place in my uh, ministry experience where I have felt as affirmed and as encouraged as I have here. And uh, I know one of the reasons for that is I haven't had to make any decisions uh, to anger anyone. I just get to come do the fun stuff. But still, uh, your graciousness and your welcome and your constant encouragement uh, has made this a real in, uh, blessing for me and for Sue. So, again, I want to thank you uh, for, for the role that you've played in our lives this past year. So I'm going to ask you to join me in standing one final time here with me anyways. And let's pray that God would speak to us as we prepare for a new beginning here at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church and that God uh, would do great things here in the future as you make a major decision next weekend about a new lead pastor. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for how you work in our lives and among the body of Christ, within the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for uh, how we can encourage one another simply by using the gifts that you have graciously given us. Father, I thank you for the many, many individuals who have offered encouragement and support, uh, written notes. And Father, it's just uh, such a blessing to be encouraged in that way. And Father, I pray that we uh, as a church could continue uh, that gift of mutual encouragement. And Father, I pray that if uh, Kevin Meyer is uh, called next Sunday, I pray that he will experience even just in small measure what I've experienced here and that these people would be an incredible encouragement to he and his wife, Grace, as well. Father, again, we pray now as we turn to your word that you would use it to teach us and to instruct us, mostly, Father, to change us so that we reflect more and more the character of Jesus Christ. And Father, we will give you all of the glory for what you do in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it was August of 1989 when he did what everyone, including his doctor, said he would never do. It was in a game against the Cincinnati Reds that August that Dave Dravecki made the comeback of a lifetime. He was able to pitch eight full innings and a four to three victory over the Cincinnati Reds after having a malignant tumor removed from his left arm and going through chemotherapy and all of the regimen of, of cancer treatments. As doctors said, not only would he never throw a baseball again, but that he would never be able to pitch at the same level uh, that he had before and that his career was over. But on that August Against the Cincinnati Reds, he proved them all wrong and made that incredible comeback. The very next start that he uh, played, he made it through the sixth inning and was winning the game when in the middle of a pitch he was throwing. He's left handed. I'm right handed, so I can't even pretend to make that motion. But he was making the pitch and his arm snapped on the mound and broke in half. The cancer they found had returned. And they discovered that the only way to save his life was to remove his entire left shoulder, his left arm, his shoulder blade and part of his collarbone actually cutting into his body to save his life. Now, you would think for a lot of people that would be the end. Life would be functionally over. There would be depression and discouragement and a sense of giving up. But that, that's not how Dave Dravecki faced that change in his life. 
after he got through processing the discouragement and and really the grief of losing that much of his body, he rebounded once again and saw it truly as a new beginning for him. He wasn't just leaving baseball. He really saw it as a new beginning where he was going to make his life count for eternity. And he was going to do everything he could to influence as many people for the cause of Christ as he possibly could. For many people, they would throw their hands up in despair and say, it's the end. My life is over. For Dave Gravecki, he was able to see it as a new beginning. And as many of you know, he's written a book. He's become a national speaker. He's encouraged men and women and truly is focused on making a difference for Christ. Now, fortunately, most of us sitting here this morning will never have to face that kind of new beginning in our lives. But the reality is all of us are constantly faced with new beginnings in life, whether it's marriage as a new beginning, whether it's first time facing the empty nest, whether it's starting a new business endeavor, whether it's moving to a new house, whether it's losing a job and starting a new job. For some of us, maybe it's starting college or becoming grandparents for the very first time. Maybe the new beginning you're facing this coming year is anticipating retirement. There are all kinds of new beginnings in life. And one of the new beginnings that everyone here faces as a church and individually is the coming of a new lead pastor here at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church. Now, when it comes to new beginnings, there's really just two basic choices we have when it comes to responding to those choices, choice uh, to those new beginnings. Choice number one is we can be controlled by fear and worry and anxiety about the unknown. How is this person going to do? Are they going to like us? Will we like them? What kind of job are they going to do? And that can control us and literally paralyze us so that we approach the new beginning with really a tentative nature that rather than a real uh, zealous kind of focused, let's go for it, a new beginning. Or we can see it as a new beginning that we face and we uh, interact with with excitement and see it as an opportunity for new growth, for positive change, for making a difference for the kingdom. Two different ways that we can view it. And if we want to make the most of the new beginnings that God brings into our lives, including this new beginning of a new lead pastor in his family, then we've got to choose which way are we going to respond. And preferably, we're going to respond in the positive by saying this is a new opportunity for us individually and for us as a congregation to do things maybe we've never done before. Maybe to make changes that have never been made before. To see ministry in our community like we never have before. But the choice is ours individually and corporately. Well, as we kind of prepare for this new beginning, a new pastor and his family and probably new uh, ways of doing ministry and maybe new ways of looking at things. Um, how can we really face this new beginning to make a positive difference? And uh, I want us to focus on Philippians chapter three, because if anyone knew something about new beginnings, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul's life, what seems like just a string of new beginnings. Now, for some people, again, they would perceive them as nothing but problems and obstacles and challenges. But Paul saw them all as new beginnings from his conversion on the Damascus Road to his planting churches to his imprisonments. 
For Paul, everything was seen through this lens of making the most of new beginnings. And in Philippians chapter three, we see Paul anticipating another new beginning in his life because Paul here really believes that he's on the verge of being released from prison in Rome. And as he anticipates that, he shares with the Philippians how he intends to make the most of this new beginning that he's facing in his life. And he anticipates it with excitement and with zeal. And I want you to listen to what Paul says here, a familiar passage of scripture, but something that I think often we fail to truly implement and live out in our lives. So listen to how Paul prepared to make the most of the new beginning in his life that he was anticipating. Chapter three, verse seven, Paul says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now listen very carefully to what Paul says in verses 12 through 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and look, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, it's interesting here because in verses 12 through 14, Paul really shares three actions that we can take if we want to make the most of new beginnings. The first action he refers to is we need to recognize something and then we need to reach for something but we also need to release something. Three actions that we can all take. Recognize, reach, and release. And the very first action that Paul talks about is we need to recognize our continual need for spiritual growth personally. If we want to make the most of new beginnings, we have got to individually and corporately recognize our constant need for personal Corporate spiritual growth. Look what Paul says here in chapter 12. I mean, chapter three, verse 12, the first half of verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Now, if you look at the verses preceding, you can see that he demonstrates an, an amazing degree of spiritual maturity. The things that he's writing here, he's saying, I want to suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be one with him. I want to suffer with him so I can experience his death and the power of his resurrection. That takes incredible spiritual maturity to be able to say something like that. 
In other places, Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul had gained an amazing degree of spiritual maturity in his life. And yet, as he faced this new beginning, he recognized he had not become spiritually mature in the final sense of being complete in Christ. Paul recognized that there was still room for him to grow spiritually. There were still things that God wanted to teach him through these new circumstances and situations. And Paul was always open and ready to continue growing spiritually in his life. You see, the word that Paul uses there when he says that I have not become perfect or reached perfection yet is a word in the original language, teleos, that means, you know, complete in the final sense of things. To reach your final destination, your completed status or state. And Paul says, I haven't got there yet. There's still a way for me to go. In fact, Paul realized that no matter how much he grew this side of eternity, he would never be complete in Christ until he saw him face to face. Because the scripture says that when we see him, then we will be like him. But only then will we be like him. Now, true, spiritually speaking, once we come to Christ, we are holy and blameless. The scripture says we're complete in Christ spiritually in our standing. But yet in our daily life, we're still growing. We're still maturing. That's the process of sanctification. But the unfortunate thing is there are some people that think they've arrived. There are some people in the church, I've met them, I know you've met them, who think that they're kind of just God's gift to the church and that they've got all the answers that they don't need to grow. They've been maybe Christians for a long time or they were born in the church, they were raised in the church, maybe they're a pastor's kid or something, and they just think that they've got it all wired. They've got all the answers and no one can teach them anything. And when it comes to the local church and particularly a new beginning like Wyzetta's facing, that is a recipe for disaster and failure. Every single one of us, no longer how long we've been a Christian, no longer how long we've been in Christian service or been elders or Sunday school teachers or Bible leaders or whatever it is. We all have loads of growth that we can experience spiritually and personally. The same is true for a congregation. Congregations need to recognize their need for growth corporately, spiritually. And if we want to make the most of this new beginning, we're going to have to recognize our need for growing spiritually, growing in the way we perceive our community, growing in the way we view ministry, recognizing that we haven't yet arrived yet and that we can learn. You see, Kevin Meyer will bring a whole new set of gifts and skills and experiences and history and all kinds of things that that maybe we've never had as a church before. But the only way that they can benefit the church is if we recognize our need to grow and to change. And so we need to recognize that we can't say, well, we've never done it that way before or we've tried it and failed. We know that it won't work. There needs to be an openness, a recognition that we can continue to grow and that the Christian life is a journey. And if we want to make the most of the new beginnings that God brings into our life, we need to recognize our need to grow continually. And none of us have arrived. None of us have all the answers. You know, I saw an interview where David Frost was interviewing Billy Graham after uh, he had struggled with Parkinson's disease for quite a while. And David Frost said to Billy Graham, you know, aren't you kind of ticked off at God? I mean, after all that you've done for God, how you've invested your entire life 
for God. Billy Graham has preached to over 200 million people face to face more than any other human being that's ever lived on planet Earth. They say that over five million people have come to Christ as a result of his ministry. Just devoted himself to God, and yet he ends up with Parkinson's disease and other ailments and just watches his life kind of degenerate. And David Frost said, doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that tick you off? Isn't God being unfair after all you've done? Billy said, absolutely not. He said, I think this is one of the only ways that God can help me grow spiritually. This kind of challenge helps me to become more dependent on God and to grow spiritually like I couldn't if he didn't allow this into my life. You see, one of the primary ways that God helps us to grow personally and corporately is introducing us to situations and circumstances that stretch us. that are a little bit uncomfortable and painful because that's how we grow. That's why they call them growing pains, because bones are being stretched and muscles are growing and being stretched. And we're kind of changing. We're morphing as people physically. And the same is true spiritually and personally. If we're always comfortable, if we're never uncomfortable, never stretched, I can guarantee you we're stuck in the status quo because growth always requires discomfort and having to stretch and change and flex. That's what growth is all about. And we need to recognize that we need that growth if we're going to make the most of new beginnings. But secondly, there's a section action and second action, and that is we need to reach towards the future. We need to recognize the need for growth, but we need to secondly reach toward the future. Look at the second half of verse 12. Paul says, I'll read the whole verse, but he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ or for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You see, Paul, that word press there. It means to pursue something with a single minded focus. It means to just focus on something and just go for it, not being distracted by all the stuff on the peripheral of life, but to just be focused on pursuing it single mindedly. And Paul says to make the most of a new beginning, I'm going to focus on the future. I'm not going to worry about all of the things that's gone on before. I'm not going to worry about all of the painful experiences of the past, but I'm going to move forward and press on to achieve that which God has already possessed me to achieve. You see, Paul really believed that God had a purpose and a plan for his life and that the way that he could achieve that and experience that was by constantly pressing ahead. Not relaxing, not getting stuck in the status quo, but constantly pressing ahead. And the same is true for each of us, and the same is true for us as a church. You know, God doesn't gather a group of people in a community just so that we can all sit around and, you know, just kind of have a good time together. God has a sovereign purpose for creating and birthing churches in local communities. And if we want to realize what that is, and if we want to experience the fullness of that, we've got to keep pressing forward until we experience the fullness of what God possessed us for and created us for. The same is true for each one of us individually. God has a specific purpose and plan for our lives. And we've got to have the attitude of pressing ahead, focusing single mindedly like Paul did. I mean, you think about all the distractions in Paul's life, 
We've read them here before from Second Corinthians chapter 12 about the shipwrecks and the beatings and the stonings and the snake bites and the enemies that were after him. Paul had so many things in his life that could have distracted him and kept him from focusing on what God's purpose for him was. But he chose not to do that. He kept single mindedly on this spiritual quest to experience the fullness of what God had for him. And the same is necessary for us individually and corporately if we want to make the most of this new beginning. You know, I think there was a time in my life when I truly, for the first time, experienced what it was like to be single-mindedly focused in pursuing something. It was the day before Thanksgiving, and I was coming out of a store parking lot, and I pulled across the traffic, and as I was turning, I got smashed into by this old beat-up pickup truck. I mean, he just nailed me on the driver's side bumper and just really jarred me. And when I finally came to my senses, the car was steaming, and I tried to get out of the uh, the driver's side, but I couldn't. The door was jammed. And by the time I got to my senses, I realized... It's gone. The truck's gone. Where is it? And I realized that I didn't have uninsured motorists. You know, I had uninsured motorists, but I couldn't uh, collect on it unless I got that person's information to prove that they were uninsured and all that kind of stuff. And at that point in my life, I couldn't afford to pay that. So, man, luckily the car would still run. It was still steaming and spewing fluid. But, man, I got that thing going and I was in single minded pursuit of the guy in the pickup truck. I mean, I was going down this foothill boulevard. I was running red lights. I was swerving. Don't do this, Sammy. I was swerving in between traffic. And I saw that truck up there five blocks in front of me. And man, I did not let out of my sights. And I was just on that truck. And I finally caught up with that truck. And just like on a cop show, I mean, I got in front of him and edged him over to the side. He wasn't going to get away from me because I was focused. I was pushing forward, pressing ahead. Get that guy. Well, when I finally stopped him and got out the passenger side, crawled across, and here's this guy in this truck. It's an old, beat-up, like 1955 Ford, and he's on oxygen. He's got a tank on the front seat. He's smoking, you know, a very combustible kind of situation. Find out he has no driver's license, no insurance, and the truck isn't his. So I'm glad that I did stop him. But I'll tell you what. I, for that little time on Foothill Boulevard, never been more focused in my life. Just, I'm going to get you, you know, and I got him. I kind of think that's how Paul was. I think kind of Paul saw not a truck five blocks ahead, but he saw this picture of what God had created him for. And he was so single mindedly focused on that. He didn't see red lights. He didn't see the cars in front of him or beside him. He just kept focusing and pursuing it. And as a result, the Apostle Paul did things that most people, even in the 21st century, can only dream about because he was so single mindedly focused. And I think the same is true for us as a church. God has a purpose for Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church. And in God's sovereign scheme of things, the search committee has arrived on the name of this person, Kevin Meyer, and he's going to be voted on next week. And If we want to make the most of this new beginning, then as a church, we've got to stay focused on the purpose that God has for us and pursue it doggedly, single mindedly. Rather than focusing on the negatives or what might happen and all of our worries and our fears, stay focused, press ahead towards the future. We need to reach towards that future. But thirdly, there's a third action, and that is we need to release the past. Look what Paul says here again. In Philippians chapter three, in verse 
14, uh, verse uh, 13, he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us, not me, but us. When Paul says that he's forgetting the past, it doesn't mean that he's wiped his memory banks. It doesn't mean that he doesn't appreciate the past or remember the past or respect the past. What he's saying is, I will not allow myself to be controlled by the past. I will not allow the past to dictate my present or my future. But I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move forward and press ahead. And I can't tell you how important that is for us if we're going to make the most of a new beginning. You know, there are so many people in life today that are totally controlled by their past. Whether it's a, a sinful, shameful past, whether it's a broken relationship or a painful divorce or a painful previous church experience. Maybe it was a failed business uh, venture that you launched out and had high hopes for and it failed. For some people, once that happens, it just controls them in the present and future and colors everything that they do. But we need to recognize we cannot allow ourselves to be controlled by the past. We've got to release the past. We can respect it. We can build on the past, but we can't allow it to control us into the present and the future. And one of the dangers in making the most uh, of this kind of new beginning as a congregation is people who are clinging to the past saying, well, we never did it that way before. And, and those were the glory days. You know, that, those were the good old days. Uh, well, you know what? I've heard people say there, there's no such thing as the good old days. Just they're all bad old days, you know, and we need to just recognize that. Yes, why is that evangelical free church has a glorious past? Great pastors that have God has used to build this congregation. Pastor Paul and Pastor Vodder and Pastor Kenworthy all have brought special gifts and skills to contribute to building what we enjoy today. But I'm I'm uh, absolutely convinced that none of them would want us today to focus on that era in time and stay stuck in the past. What would honor them most is by building on what they contributed, honoring it, respecting it. And the way that we do that is by releasing it, but then building into the future. That's the best way to make the most of a new beginning. And that's the opportunity that we have here at YZ in the coming months. And that's what we can do in our lives with every new change, every new challenge, every new opportunity, rather than saying, well, I tried that once before and I failed, so I'm not going to try it again. That's a certain path to failure. But if you want to make the most of those new opportunities in life, you've got to release the past and move in to the future. You know, Dick Ward was a guy who had everything going for him in life. 67 years old, he'd been a very... Um, a very successful physician, lived in a million dollar house, made an incredible salary, had everything he wanted, all kinds of sports cars, a beautiful wife. Everything was going great until his wife, Nora, was diagnosed with cancer. They'd been married for 40 years. And after several months of struggling with the cancer that was at an advanced stage when it was discovered, she died. And all of a sudden, Dick Ward found himself at the end or what he thought was the end, the end of a marriage, the end of a great life, the end of family as he knew it, and all of those kinds of things. 
But instead of allowing himself to be stuck and focusing on it as the ending, he grieved and he began to refocus as on a new beginning. And so what he did, he sold everything he owned, except for some of his own clothes and personal possessions, sold it all, gave most of it away to charity. And then he entered seminary and started studying to be a minister, something that had been a lifelong dream, been active in his church all of his life. And so at 67 years old, he went back to seminary or went to seminary, became an ordained minister and got into ministry and he had a whole new beginning. And in fact, when he was interviewed, he said, these are the very best years of my life. And every day that I minister, Nora is right there with me, ministering with me. And he said, we're loving the ministry. Here's a guy that could have saw it as the end, could have packed it up and just kind of wasted his life away. But instead, he chose to see it as a new beginning and make the most of it. Realize that he could still grow in areas of his life. Press for this goal of completing seminary and fulfilling a lifelong dream that God had placed in his heart. And probably most painful and difficult for him, he had to release the past. Recognizing he wasn't dishonoring Nora, he wasn't dishonoring those 40 years, but he was taking them and investing and building on them. And he saw himself now as ministering with her in the later years of his life and said that they were the best years of his life. You know, one action step this morning, and that is, you know, are you as a congregation committed to recognizing your need for growth? Are you committed to reaching for the future that God has for Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church? Are you committed to releasing the past so that God can do what he wants to do? Are you committed to do the same in your own personal life, your own personal circumstances? Let's pray that God would allow us at this time to make the most of this new beginning for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we are so grateful for the fact that you are constantly giving us new beginnings. Father, as followers of Christ, it's not that there are endings, but Father, every ending is a new beginning. Even as death is not the end, but simply the beginning. Father, I pray during this critical time in the history and the life of Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church that every person here would bind together and make the most of this new beginning for your glory, for the advancement of your purposes in this world. And Father, we'll trust you to miraculously do that in Christ's matchless name. Amen.